It's time for the top four at four with Levac and Gaz. The four biggest stories in the world of sports brought to you by our friends in Mohawk Hansa, Mohawk Hansa, where they always go out of their way to please you. We are joined by Brady Farkas. He's back in the four o'clock hour. We love it. We keep asking him back. For some reason, he keeps saying yes. Brady, welcome back. Day three here on the Fox Sports side. I haven't gotten my paycheck yet for the previous two days. It seems as if your, your connection's cutting out. Wait, what happened? I, I think we'll have to go back. <laughs> That's odd. Uh, story number four. Hopefully, our hey, bo- by the way, yes, by sure, the way sure. I have to ask. Okay. I have to ask yeah. real quick. M- about money? What's the weather like there? It's snowing today in Vermont. Snowing? Yes, snowing today. This type of weather right here in the Capital Region, I will put up against anywhere. Anywhere in the country. Now, it's a little like mid-50s, I believe. But like when you get a sunny, even a little partly cloudy, 60, 70 degree May through August day, I'll put this weather up against anybody. So I got the long sleeve on right there. No snow, nothing that wild. It was was 36 when I woke up this morning and snowing. 36? All right, what's number four, now that I've derailed you enough? What's number four? Pat McAfee. This has been blowing up the sports world. Hopefully, we won't get a fine from the bosses here talking about another network, but it has dominated the sports world. The former Indianapolis Colt punter is leaving his non-traditional media job and has decided to join the worldwide leader. Pat McAfee, over 5.5 million views on this. This is the lead story on New York Post's sports page you don't know his career, McAfee's been interviewing Aaron Rodgers in the past. Basically, that's where Aaron Rodgers announced he was going to become a New York Jet and more. Leaving $120 million on the table at FanDuel after two years and joining ESPN. Brady, let's start with the sports side of it. What do you make of Pat McAfee retiring early? And now this is what his life is five years later. Athletes, let's set it up like this instead. Do you see this as potentially the future athletes retiring early to pursue a media career like McAfee. We'll start there first. No, I do not think it's going to be the norm because I think that McAfee is an outlier. And part of the reason why I like McAfee, and I don't want to get on my soapbox here, but get on up on it. No, get on it, Brady. Get on the soapbox. This is the forum to do it. One of the things that bothers me about athletes in sports media is that Look, man, they get handed these jobs just because they're athletes. Well, meanwhile, you and I, who went to school for it, have trained for it, have done it for a decade, can't get certain jobs because they're all taken by these former athletes. So, yes, I'm jealous. Yes, I'm bitter. And I don't think that a lot of uh, that all of the former athletes in sports media are necessarily all that good. They're just there because their names and because of their experience. And that that bothers me. The thing that's different about McAfee is he's a worker. Like McAfee retired early. I mean, he is everywhere, right? He And he has put himself everywhere. He took the show from nothing on YouTube to what it is now. No, no, Most other athletes are not willing to do that. Like they don't want to work that hard. Most people don't want to work that hard. So no, I don't think that this is the norm. McAfee is, man, man he's on YouTube. He was at Barstool. He was at uh, Sirius XM. He's on YouTube again. He's with, he's got this deal and that deal. He's on wrestling he's on college game day again he's doing this stuff with barstool he, he no most people are not willing to do what mcafee has done certainly not most athletes who have a bunch of money you know usually in the bank they're like man my days of working hard are over at this point i want a cushy job that i can just show up for and talk 
McAfee didn't do that, man. I have a lot of respect for what he's done. It's part of the reason why I like him so much. But no, it's not going to be the norm because I don't know how many people really work as hard as McAfee, if any. That's that keyword there, the norm, right? Like, if I had phrased that question and said, will other athletes attempt to try and do this? Maybe that's a completely different answer because, as you said, some athletes have that work ethic and think they can make it happen that quickly. But it's a completely different forum for them to have success. And that word at the end I had there was success. What do you define as success? That you make a living, that you get to cover it, that you get to talk to your friends. How people define success in their post-career professionally is a whole different thing. To work as your own boss. Success is defined differently by different people. So, yeah, I don't think it will be the norm, but I think some athletes will try this thinking, oh, if Pat McAfee, the punter, can do it, why can't I, the former quarterback or award-winning athlete, do this? It's not like that especially if you don't have a goal in mind. Now, i got to follow up there. We're going to get to number three, but I think the follow-up needs to be asked for people who do this for a living. Do you think the relationship between Pat McAfee and ESPN, two-part, successful slash will work? And you can interpret that question however you want. Um, I think it's going to work because I think Mac- McAfee is a star. And therefore, I think it will be successful monetarily. The question will be, how long will McAfee remain happy for? Because he has said, he's been very clear, that the show is not going to change. Like, the show is going to be the show, and we're going to do it the way we do it, and that was very important to me. At the end of the day, ESPN has shareholders. And at the end of the day, if McAfee says something that upsets them, someone's going to come down on him or come to him, and he's either going to have to bend, which he's not going to like, or he's going to leave which he's not going to like. So I think the question is, is how long can he do the show with total creative freedom with never getting in trouble or never having somebody come into his office, et cetera, or a virtual office at this point. So it will make a ton of money. He will be successful. He will get a bigger reach. People will love it. Um, Will it truly stay as independent as he wants it to and has said that it will? I think that remains the question. Yeah. When the word again, success here, do I think that show will have more success than what was previously in that time slot? Yeah. Do I think him and his buddies and his producers and everything else will make more money? Yeah. So if that's it, that should be the answer. However, there's a third part to this, and you did a great job laying this out a few minutes ago. Since what, 2018? Sirius, DAZN, Barstool, CBS, FanDuel. Five? Brady, nobody does that. Nobody does that many outlets that fast ever in this sports world thing, unless they're not doing well, which makes him an outlier too. I give it, I would be shocked if the Pat McAfee show is still associated with ESPN by May of 2026. Like, I don't think it lasts more than three years because what we've seen is that Pat McAfee and that show has a track record of not sticking around and wanting to be independent and wanting everything else. And they are eventually going to tell him what to say. So unless he's making enough money, and I know he just welcomed a child into the world, maybe he's like, you know what? I'll back off. I'm getting the bag, as kids say. I can. We got to re-revolve and evolve and all that other stuff. Fine. Maybe he just changes as a person. But I don't think that's going to happen. Like, there's nothing that I've seen over the last six years that says, oh, yeah, he's going to do it this way now. So, yeah, he loves, by the way, he loves the announcement post. I get that's a part of our gig. Like, you got to get the algorithm, got to beat it, got to cheat. It's a part. I don't think anybody loves the announcement to the announcement uh, up to something seasoned, quite like Pat McAfee. Yeah, I love I love McAfee. I think he's great. But look, he's already changing the show. He already said that he's not going to say the F word anymore. Like, and that, you know, 
part of the fun of McAfee's show is the relatability of talking like the common man. And he's already changing that a little bit. Now he says he's going to say all the other things that he says, and the swear words are going to be a part of it. I don't quite know how that's going to happen on the television side of things, but the show is already being tweaked just a little bit. We'll see what comes on down the road. Let's move on to story number three here involving the San Antonio Spurs and Victor Webanyama, the big seven foot five Frenchman. Now, likely, I mean, we already confirmed it last night. Heading to San Antonio is the Spurs win the number one overall pick in the 2023 NBA draft. Spurs fans may know this. David Robinson, Hall of Famer. Tim Duncan, Hall of Famer, both former number one picks for the Spurs. And now they get the seven foot five Frenchman, Webanyana. Brian Windhorse. How about you flying out to France to do an interview at 2.30 in the morning for 90 seconds? Good for you, Wendy. What do you make of the Spurs now getting what's being called, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, the greatest prospect in the history of American team sports? It's good for the Spurs. I forgot the Spurs were in the league the last few years. I mean, like <laughs> the Spurs have been so irrelevant since Kawhi Leonard jettisoned them. It's good. I like when small markets have big stars and then we you know four years from now we'll be wondering if victor's gonna end up with the knicks because that's what we do right is anthony davis gonna be a nick is zion gonna be a nick that's what we do they go to these small markets they play well and then we wonder how long until they're playing for the knicks and then the knicks don't get them that's the that's <laughs> the story that's the story of media um i think it's good for the spurs i think it's good for Yama because look the spurs have a history with french players tony parker right there's a lot of spurs players in france Victor, he came out yesterday and said, like, people in France wanted the Spurs to get this. So there's a natural tie in there. He'll have a natural resource in Tony Parker to go to, I'm sure, whenever he wants for anything. So so that's great. I'm happy that it's a small market. I'm happy that they're going to get relevant again. And, man, the Spurs remind me a lot of where I'm at. They're a lot with, they, they remind me a lot of the Patriots. You have a great coach, and everybody acknowledges you have a great coach. But when you lose those star players, even a great coach – is rendered very, very ordinary or below average. So Greg Popovich has certainly taken a hit in the last couple of years. He's going to get a chance to rebuild it now. It's one of my favorite sports stories that people of an age don't remember or just don't even know about. That Remember, after Tim Duncan becomes a San Antonio Spur, in that like 18-month window there, like that 96-97 stretch, Greg Popovich was a front office executive, and he fired the head coach and hired himself. People forget Pop hired himself to sit on the bench, and he became one of the great NBA coaches of all time. So it's interesting how and Pat Riley, you know, there's that connection, connected yeah. his own, that he came down from the executive and hired himself to help win a championship in the past. So that's what's interesting about your point there is, can he do it again? And how long does Pop want to do it? So a lot of people thought Pop was going to be done three or four years ago if Popovich wants to continue doing this. But I do like that at San Antonio because it makes that Western Conference more interesting. Franchises like the Hornets haven't been back to what people of the 90s want them to be with the cool starter jackets and more. I don't know if Charlotte would have worked. Houston is really rebuilding, but they've had success back in the 90s as well. It's interesting to have it be San Antonio of how that team builds around him and how quickly he says he wants to win in a ring, Webinyana ASAP, how fast this guy can really turn things around in San Antonio. All right, let's move on. Bring back, I was going to say, bring back Sean Elliott and Matt Bonner, or uh, Sean Elliott and Matt Bonner. Let's go. <laughs> Story number two involves the Major League of Baseball slate of games tonight. We start with the New York Mets. The Mets will be hosting the Tampa Bay Rays. First pitch in that game is set for 7 10. 
the Boston Red Sox right here on your home for Red Sox baseball, Fox Sports 95.9 and 9.80. The Red Sox take on the Seattle Mariners one more time, the third game in this series. And the New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays continue their series. Garrett Cole on the mound tonight for the Yankees. All right, we got two baseball questions I want to get at. Mariners, Red Sox continue on. The Red Sox stopped their four-game losing streak against your Mariners last night. Game three of this matchup, what stands out to you as the series continues between the M's and the Sox? This is the first one that is a more level pitching matchup, but it's certainly two very different style of pitchers, right? Like the Red Sox blitzed Luis Castillo yesterday, right? They were all over him early, four runs in the first. Marco Gonzalez is a totally different pitcher. Marco Gonzalez is one of the slowest pitchers in all of baseball. You're going to see him. He's going to top out at 91. He's going to live with the changeup, the curveball. He's going to throw it a lot of the time. So he's certainly a guy that if he makes mistakes, they're going to get hammered. He's also a guy that can frustrate the hell out of you and generate a lot of ground balls to shortstop. I don't know which Marco is going to show up, and I don't know what the Red Sox approach against him will be. But the Red Sox have a clear advantage in this game that they didn't have in the other two, and that he's immensely more hittable than Kirby or Castillo. And as for Bayo on the other side, Young pitcher, right, going to be prone to walking guys, making mistakes, et cetera. But he dominated the Braves his last time out. I think he went six or seven innings and gave up two runs against one of the best lineups in baseball. He has the ability to carve through this lineup, just like a lot of pitchers have the ability to carve through the Mariners lineup. He's a guy who draws comparisons to Pedro Martinez, stature from the Dominican Republic, has a great changeup, worked on his changeup more with Pedro this offseason. He's going to throw 96, 97 miles an hour. He's going to feature that changeup if he is in the strike zone he has the ability to do what pitchers do against the Mariners which is dominate so I think this is one that I would sit here and say the Red Sox have the advantage in that they didn't have the last two nights when it comes to headlines across the AL East if you're a Boston Red Sox fan you're sitting back thinking hey we were one of the hottest teams in baseball we finally ended our losing streak we had lost six of seven four in a row and now we're back things look to be good that would be a really good headline but because of everything else happening in the AL East, that doesn't even stand out because of what happened last night. We led the show off talking about this. And if you missed it, Apple, Spotify, or we can go back and listen to LeVac and Gaz on demand. Domingo Herman, Yankees defeat the Blue Jays, but Herman's tossed after three innings because of the sticky stuff on the hand. Former pitcher, second day in a row, we get to talk about the pitching landscape with you, Brady Farkas. Domingo Herman's ejection. I call it he should get a few games for a stupidity rule. What did you make? of big zero getting tossed last night for the Bronx bombers. I wasn't watching it live. So this is kind of like, I'm kind of going back now and looking at it. The umpire said it's the stickiest hand he's ever, he's ever had, <laughs> like he's ever felt. So it's something going on. You know, like we saw this with Scherzer, right? And I believe Scherzer, he swore in his kid's life. So like, I believe Scherzer, I'm not saying that I don't believe Herman, but obviously these guys are trying to push the limit on what they can do. Right. Rosin mixed with rubbing alcohol or whatever, um, I just, bottom line is I don't even care about it from Herman's standpoint. I'm not a Herman fan. It's just a big deal for the Yankees, right? Like the Yankees don't have Rodon. They don't have Frankie Montas. They're missing a lot of their bullpen. Severino is supposed to come back hopefully this weekend, but we're not entirely sure about that. This is just another major league starter who's not out for the Yankees. And when you are in last place, fourth place, bouncing back between the two, you can ill afford to have that. So the Yankees need to be as whole as they possibly can. And they haven't been that. And this is another example of it. So, yeah, it's a big deal. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not, but it's a big deal that he's going to get suspended. He's going to be out 10 games. And the rule is 
they can't even replace him on the roster. So they're going to play a tw- they're going to play with 25 players instead of 26 for those 10 games and that's a big deal too. Remember Michael Pineda a few years ago where Pineda's like no 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 yeah, it's on I don't- his neck. Right. Oh no no, I don't have anything and then Pineda's all over his neck and he's like the kid who ate the cake and he's like no mom, I didn't eat the cake. Frosting's all over his face. It wasn't that bad, but there's clips now that are going viral of no, Domingo Herman didn't have anything on his hand while he wipes it off on his belt and on his pants, and it's all completely different colors now. How dumb. That, that's what I've been trying to figure out today. You know every umpire is going to be looking at it. You know every camera in Toronto is going to be looking at something fishy going on because of what happened with Judge and the Blue Jays and the dugout and everything. To go and do that thinking you wouldn't get caught is baffling to me here on this. Here that, is what yeah, I've never, here's what I've never understood. I've never understood pitchers need or want for, for, for pine tar or anything else, because I can tell you confident. I have never once used it and I've always been fine. Like, right. Like baseballs are very slippery when they first come out of the package. Anyone of your listeners who's ever played baseball and ever pitched from ages 10 through 20 knows that when, the umpire pulls a brand new ball out of his pocket and hands it to you. That ball is slick and that ball is tough to throw, but major league baseballs aren't fresh out of the package. They are, they are meticulously rubbed up with special dirt that comes in from Costa Rica to give them a tact. So they're already worn in. So they are already easy to throw. These are not fresh out of the package baseballs. Like I have pitched my entire life, right? Youth league, high school, college, men's league, doesn't matter. Baseballs that are fresh out of the package are terrible. They're hard to throw. Those are not given to you in Major League Baseball. So why pitchers feel the need to have this stuff, I just don't get. Don't tell me it's about grip. You didn't pitch with this stuff your entire life leading up to the majors. You didn't need it then. You you got drafted without needing it. You got signed without needing it. You pitched your entire life just rubbing some dirt on it. The baseballs are far better than you ever grew up with. I don't know why pitchers continue to try to do this. We went so long here. Believe it or not, that was still story number two. Number one is the NBA playoffs. Game one last night involving the Lakers and Nuggets. We've got game one tonight. Celtics and Heat. Let's break all that down coming up. Brady Park is going to hang with us. We're going to talk about what happened in Nuggets Lakers, what it means for the rest of the series. And if you're a Celtic fan, if you're a Heat fan, we're going to give our take on what we can expect in the Eastern Conference Finals as we get closer Thankfully, and closer. Thankfully, no hockey today. <laughs> Brady Farkas joins us next and continues to roll on here on LeVac and Gons on Fox Sports 95.9 and 980. We are talking a lot of hoops here on LeVac and Gaz. We got the Western Conference Finals that wrapped up. What an amazing game that was. And we're going to preview a little Celtics heat with our guy, Brady Farkas. He covers the Celtics out in Vermont and New England and everything else. Celtic fate, hang on for a second. We will talk about the big game coming up. South Beach's squad, the heat. But first, let's recap Lakers Nuggets because that game last night, you and I are interesting here in this life cycle. I feel like that's been our theme here in this 415 segment of us aging and becoming more older and experienced, but I'm still struggling here, Brady, almost 24 hours removed from this game. I don't know if I can, in my entire life, 30 plus years on earth as a sports fan, can compare any basketball player to Nicole Jokic. I don't know who he compares to. He was unreal. And if it wasn't a game one, if that was a game six or a game seven, we're talking about that as one of the great performances in NBA playoff history last night. Does he compare to anybody that you can think of in your lifetime? 
Well, I, I, I'm stealing this from Mike Wilbon, who was on the uh, the ESPN telecast at halftime with Greeny and Jalen Rose. And I hadn't really thought about this stuff until I heard him say it. So I'm going to steal his thought. There's elements of Bill Walton. There's who's who's predates us, but there's elements of Bill Walton. There's elements footwork wise of Hakeem Olajuwon, someone who I do remember watching growing up. Um, not quite as pretty as Hakeem was with the footwork, but you know, equally efficient. And then you add in this outside game that's kind of Dirk Nowitzki-esque. I mean, he's really just taken the best parts of Hall of Famers and future Hall of Famers and is morphed into this kind of cyborg out there on the court. And I, I disagree. It doesn't have to just be, it won't be as memorable because it was in game six or seven, but in terms of Playoff performances, it can still be one of the best, even though it came in game one. Jeff Van Gundy was saying yesterday, this is one of the best basketball games he has ever seen live. And that's a guy you know, in the game for 40, 50 years at this point. So what Jokic did was incredible. Typical NBA, they almost gave it away and everybody makes a run. But ultimately, the Nuggets win. They're up one nothing, just like I thought they would. And there's no blame to go on Anthony Davis. There's parts earlier in that game where I'm texting, I'm in the mass text, and I'm like, Jokic is eating his lunch right now. But then you got to go back and recap the game, and you think Anthony Davis is an all-star. Anthony Davis is a really good player, and not every possession is going to be on him. I don't know if we can blame Anthony Davis. Sometimes the old Michael Jordan against Portland in the 90s, the shoulder shrug, it felt like you got to shrug and be like, what do you want me to do? How can you slow this guy down? Is there at all any blame on Anthony Davis's defensive performance last night? No, I mean, and Anthony Davis, by the way, scored 30. Yeah, right. So it's not like one guy got 40 and one guy got 10, okay? It's like Anthony Davis, he he came as close to balancing it out offensively as you can. Like, hey, I'll give up 30, but I'll score 32. Like, he, he, he did his job as far as I'm concerned. What the Lakers have to figure out is, like, pick your poison. Like, what exactly do you want? Do you want to let him go, let Jokic go one-on-one with Davis? And look, most NBA players can score one-on-one. Like gifted NBA players score one-on-one. So do you want to let him go one-on-one and let him go for 46 but try to limit everybody else? Or do you want to double and then let him make the right pass and kick out to wide-open shooters like Jamal Murray and Caldwell Pope, Caldwell Pope who had a good game, and Porter and Gordon, et cetera? Like pick your poison because if you want to let him play one-on-one, he can get his 46 and you can try to stop everybody else. Or you can send a double team, you can go and run different looks at him, and then you can just force him into making the right decision, which so often he does. I wouldn't blame Anthony Davis. And come on, did you see that shot Jokic hit at the end of the third quarter? <laughs> it's like, unbelievable. Just like, like falling back like six feet behind the line, step back from a seven-footer, and Davis is just laughing. That's all he can do. You can't stop that. In that fourth quarter, especially, you mentioned that there about the run that the Lakers go on. There is some impressive parts, even though the Lakers, for a majority of that game, are trailing by double digits. Cool, maybe, is the adjective I'm going to use. Calm, because a lot of younger basketball teams, when they get down 15, 17, 19, it's three-pointers all day long. All right, we got to get back in the game as quick as possible. Let's start launching threes, launching threes. It wasn't that way for the Lakers. Even though they're on the road, they're trailing by double digits, they had a, okay, we're not going to freak out. We're going to come back. Even though they lost, there is something incredibly impressive about the, let's say, professionalism of how the Lakers were able to find a way to claw themselves back in the final few minutes of that game. 
I don't know. That's just the NBA, guys. Like, I'm not going to sit here and give credit for something that everybody does. Like, I've seen the Celtics blow a zillion games where they're up 25 and end up winning by four or where they're up 16 and they end up losing or they're down 16 and they come back and make it a two point game. This is the NBA. Like this is what happens now. It doesn't happen as often in the playoffs. So, okay. I'll give your point a little bit of credence there. Like, okay. Hey, in the playoffs, they stayed disciplined. They didn't try to get it all back in one shot. They didn't bite off more than they can chew. They cycled the ball around and LeBron scored and Davis scored and Reeves scored. And yeah, that's all great. This is what happens in the NBA. The players are too good offensively. Teams make runs, and the, the team that's up big oftentimes will let their foot off the gas and then kind of have to resettle. In fact, I'd give credit to Denver for not allowing the snowballing to come and take them over because for the inexperienced team in Denver, you could have easily seen a scenario where they're up 21. All of a sudden, I think Reeves hits a three to get it to two with like three minutes to play, and you're like, uh-oh, they're going to lose this game. But I give them credit that they were the ones who – you know, took the body blows and ultimately didn't fold. I, I don't know. Yeah, credit to the Lakers. But I'm giving credit to Denver, too. After everything that happens in game one, has your opinion before the ball tipped off now changed how you view this series after the Denver W and how that game played out? No, Denver in six. I, I, I just think Denver is a better team. I think they are a deeper team. Now, Van Gundy was raising a good point about Denver's bench maybe, you know, needing to step up a little bit, but... I just look at it and say that Denver right now has the best player on the floor at this time. Does not mean that LeBron's not better than Jokic, you know, career-wise. Of course he is. But right now, Denver has the best player on the floor today. I think they have the best guard on the floor in Jamal Murray. I think they have the ability to play defensively. And yes, they have an inexperienced head coach, but so do the Lakers. So, I think that Denver wins in six. I'll say Denver wins both games in Denver. I'll say that they split in LA, go up 3-1, and I'll, I'll give them a bad loss in game five on their home floor, and they go close it out in LA in six. I'll see them staying five games. Denver wins in five, and LA picks up a win game three to get a 2-1, and we'll wonder what it can be. There was something, you mentioned LeBron there. If you were watching on the television side pregame a little bit, they come off the draft lottery talking about Victor Webb and Yana, who we talked a little bit about earlier in the show, the hype around him. But they set it up so that they show the Victor Webb and Yana highlights. And, oh, don't forget, 20 years ago, this happened with LeBron James and the Cavaliers winning the draft lottery. 20 years ago. The fact that we're still talking about LeBron James as the best player in most of his career, what, 99% of the time, 95% of the time, still being the best player on the floor, even though Jokic was last night. It's crazy to think that LeBron is still in the spot 10-1 in his career in conference finals. And both you and I are leaning towards Denver and we know people are going to start coming out and the, the Michael Jordan stands and everybody else, no matter what the result may be, if L.A. loses this series, the blame's going to go on LeBron, no matter how well he plays and everything else that's happened here. But there is moments like this where I step back and I'm like, I know Denver's the better team. I know Denver played better. They have the best player on the court. But there's always just LeBron on the court where it makes me double take and wonder, man, this guy's done it for 20 years and I'm going to pick against him? Does that ever feel that same way to you as a fan where you're like an immediate member where it's like, yeah, but they do have LeBron. Um, I mean, I think having LeBron keeps you in series. Like, I will always say, oh, if you have LeBron, you're never, 
you never have no chance. But I don't feel bad picking against LeBron because I know that it involves a team. And right now the Lakers feel like two really good players who have significant question marks, right? Like can LeBron at this point in his career go six or seven games giving you LeBron-esque performances? And then can Davis stay healthy enough? And I, I like the bit pieces on the Lakers. I like Schroeder, like we talked about yesterday, and Reeves has proven to be a good find. And Lonnie Walker stepped up in the last series. But I just don't think they're as good as Denver's other pieces. And I don't think there's any shame in that. The Lakers were a team that was in 13th place, you know, with six weeks left in the season. So I think what they've done is incredible. I just more look at LeBron as I'm just more in awe of him because not only is it 20 seasons, it's how many extended playoff runs. I mean, you're talking about X, you know, however many trips to the finals LeBron has, you're talking about second seasons on top of that. How many Olympics LeBron has played in, in short, you know, in short off seasons or giving himself a short off season. I'm like, I would love to go. I, I have not done this. Maybe I'll do this after we get off, but like go through LeBron's basketball reference page and just figure out how many additional seasons he has played in addition to 20, just based on extra games. Brady Fark is joining us here on Fox Sports 95, 9 and 980, talking some NBA playoffs. We're talking Western Conference Finals. Now we shifted over to Boston, Miami. You've covered the Celtics. Yeah. What jumps out to you in this series heading into game one? The Celtics will only be beaten by lack of effort and lack of focus. That's it. The, the, Miami is not as talented as them, and it's it's that simple. And, look, Miami's been really fun, and it's the first time that I can remember an NCAA tournament-style thing happening in the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs is usually so chalk that it's boring until the conference finals. The Heat have provided something different and, and something new, and that has been fun, and I love Jimmy Butler. They're playing with like nine undrafted guys on this team. They're playing without Oladipo. They're playing without Tyler Hero. They don't have the talent that the Celtics do. And if the Celtics allow this series to continue, it will be solely because they have allowed it to continue. Miami can only win this series if the Celtics, you know, aren't invested emotionally and come out listless. If the Celtics come out like they're capable of coming out, like we saw in game six, like we saw in game seven, they are going to roll the heat. Now, we have seen the Celtics do this a bunch where they they do play down to the level of their competition. So I am not saying that it's impossible, but if what should happen happens, Celtics win this in five. I'm struggling to find a way on the court. Five on five, roster versus roster, where Miami can have an advantage. But I could have said the same thing about Milwaukee's series against the Heat and the Knicks series against the Heat. Milwaukee Greek freak gets injured and you look back at the New York series. They just flat out weren't better than them. It was pretty quick after game one. You're like, especially game two when New York won and everybody was injured. It's like, oh boy, like the Knicks are not ready or on the level of the heat. All of a sudden when it comes to playoff time, how much, if at all, do you think the coaching of Eric Spolstra can play a difference in this series, especially with you and I both agreeing that talent versus talent, Boston's better. But when you have a guy who's won multiple championships in Spolstra versus the Celtics sideline, that's been interesting over the last few years. Can that be the biggest advantage if Miami can pull off this upset of what their head coach can draw up? Oh, certainly. I mean, look, Eric Spolster is a very good coach, and some people will say he's the best coach in the NBA at this point, even over Popovich. So I, I'm not going to put anything past him, and I believe his team. The thing I can say about the Heat is that they're going to come out prepared. 
And that means they're going to come out prepared from a game plan standpoint, and they're going to come out prepared from an emotional standpoint. They are going to play hard. I have no doubts that Miami is going to play hard. I do have doubts that the Celtics are going to play hard. So I think the Heat are going to come out motivated and prepared. The Celtics can overwhelm that with talent if they want to, and they haven't always wanted to. If you're asking me, I'm going to go, I'm going to throw out a, a, a capital region connection here. Ooh. I think the Heat kind of this sounds so college but like the will brown special i can't tell you how many years that you albany would get to the ncaa tournament and they played yukon one year they played florida one year they played duke one year and some of this is before you even got there guys but like when you albany was a 15 seed or a 16 seed they were always in these games why because will brown made sure that his team controlled the tempo and he made sure they slowed the pace way down and you couldn't be overwhelmed by florida's athleticism if you walked the ball up the court and played in the half court and forced them to play in the half court and didn't allow it to get in transition, and all of a sudden, with three minutes to play, these games are 56-53 instead of 86-53. to I think that's kind of what Miami needs to do, can try to take the air out of the ball, take the air out of the building, force the Celtics to be a little antsy, get Jason Tatum to settle for jumpers, which he's been known to do, and all of a sudden, we look up with six minutes to play, and it is a, you know, it's a fist fight and it's 86-84 instead of where the Celtics could get it, which is, you know, 110 to, you know, scoring in the 110s. I think that's that sounds very college. It may only work for one game, but it's something I think that would play to Miami's advantage. It definitely would, especially if Jimmy Butler has the opportunity to be aggressive in the fourth quarter. And it's a close game and you can find the shooters in the right spot. I think it's a fantastic game plan. Coach Brown, if that works that way. You know where to tweet Brady, by the way. He's calling a shot right now. You can grab that clip and send it to Coach. And boy, I thought the Great Danes had UConn in 06, man. I still remember playing poker with my buddies watching that game, thinking that would be the first one, the first whoa, time whoa, the 16 took over the one. Like, what? We were in like ninth grade. You were playing poker with your buddies in ninth grade. We might have been in eighth grade. Yeah, the ninth grade. No. You were playing poker well, in ninth grade. Look, 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 that's March of 06. So that puts me sophomore year. I mean, we're not going to say what the poker game involved. Of course, you can't wager on anything under the age of 18. But, you know, yeah, that was the poker boom. Wait a second. You never got wrapped up in the poker boom of the early 2000s in the Capital Region? It was exploding in Central New York. Like, yeah, we were playing poker back then. Yeah, I know. Everybody was into the World Series of Poker and Norman Chad on ESPN. Norman Chad used to write a column for the Times Union as well. Uh, Yeah, everybody's into the World Series of Poker and the – Money maker or whatever, Phil, whatever that guy's name was. Yeah, people were into poker. I, I, I don't have the patience for it though, mostly. Oh man, I feel like you could be good at poker. I feel like if you no. started, no, I have no patience for three card poker at the Saratoga Casino and Raceway. Again, we're not allowed to wagertainment on this show. Apparently, I keep getting <laughs> in trouble with that. But that's the only that's the only poker I like. Three card poker, Saratoga Casino and Raceway, Rivers Casino. That, that's where I like to be. See, I say that you'd be good at poker, but then I realize you and I have worked our professional careers in radio, and if I get a good hand now, I would show it. Like, I don't have a poker face anymore because I'm so expressive on this side. You forget, oh, <laughs> there's actually people looking at me now and can see. That's what radio, I, that's my blame if I lose now. It's what I do for a living. Okay. March 06, sophomore yeah. year. Yeah, I guess so. I really thought it was freshman year, though. That's, okay. That's Fair. like they're up by like 15 in that game, right? 17. How high did the league right. get? Junior, junior year, they got the 13 seed. And everybody thought they were going to win. and They got blown out by Virginia. Yeah. Remember that UConn team, I believe, had six 
professional guys eventually on the squad, and they got clipped by George Mason in that Elite Eight game. It was an awesome series. But Brady Farkas, we appreciate your insight today. You are back again tomorrow. Talk more hoops to talk everything in the sports world. We will catch you again tomorrow. Thank you, Brady. Appreciate your time as always. No doubt. Before Brady heads off, he's got some love for the Mohawk family. He's a capital region guy. We love Mohawk. Kind of love seeing everybody yesterday. Shout to John and service. Saw our guy Jordan, Nick, and Nate, and everybody helping me get that oil change. They got a lot of construction going on now at Mohawk Honda as well. They're upgrading. You got so many cool things that are on the way this summer at Mohawk Honda. But the most important part is that it's people that you can trust during the car buying experience. If you're looking for that new vehicle like Lydia out in East Greenbush, who gave some love to Levac and Goss when she bought that new minivan, we appreciate Lydia showing us some love. Make sure to stop in and work with that great staff from Greg Johnson, Cam McKenna to Brian McKenna, Lindsay Harrington, so many amazing people across the board. MJ Man. Love talking to him, chatting up with him as well. So many people that you want on your side when you make that big move. Whether it's the certified pre-owned vehicle, maybe a 2023, maybe Lydia who wanted that minivan. Whatever it is, Mohawk Honda will help you find your ride. My pilot's sitting right out here in the parking lot. Cannot wait to drive it over on May 30th. And we're going to be broadcasting live from Glenville. It's Mohawk Honda where they always go out of their way to please you. Play of the day coming up next and more on the way here on Fox Sports 95, 9 and 980. You're listening to LeVac and Goss. We've got some breaking news here late in the show involving a local sports story. This is coming from multiple outlets that current Albany Empire owner, Antonio Brown has confirmed that he will be suiting up for the Albany Empire on May 27th, the next home game for the Albany Empire. NBC 13, ABC 10, refs for Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown himself, 13 and 10 now reporting that Antonio Brown will take the field for the Albany Empire on May 27th. Now, our guy Jeff Levac will be offering some more insight on this coming up. But if you've missed this, we've had this conversation for the first two and a half weeks here on the show. And this was asked way back on May 1st here on this show of, can Antonio Brown actually play for the Albany Empire? How does that happen? Well, within the rules of the National Arena League, that was not allowed. Have the rules changed? As Chris Siegfried decided to bend the rules for the all-pro wide receiver, formerly the Pittsburgh Steelers, it had been said that that's not allowed. An owner just can't show up and walk on the field. And we've known before that Antonio Brown, over the course of the last few weeks, has said some things to the media that have proven not to be true. And in Antonio Brown's mind, he does think they're true. This goes back to when he claimed He was the 100% owner of the Albany Empire, and at that point, it wasn't true. Mike Corda had owned more of the Albany Empire than Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown is still claiming he owns 100% of the Albany Empire, which, again, has not been true. We've seen local media outlets cover that Charlotte and Stephon Schiller still own 5% of the team, but now he's just claiming he's going to play. Okay. Do I think that Antonio Brown will find a way on the field? Like, if I had to put money on it right now, I know we've got the play of the day coming up, but if you told me, guys, do you think at some point between now and the end of the NAL season, which usually wraps in mid-August, that Antonio Brown will put on a helmet and shoulder pads and cleats 
or whatever, turf shoes and run around and make some plays? Yeah. I think the answer is still yes. Because, like, what if you were Chris Siegfried? What if you are the commissioner? We can bash him all we want over the last few days that he was maybe played too much to Antonio Brown. There have been stories in the media of how he was acting, whether it's partying with college students over the past few days or saying things that he shouldn't be saying on social media and more than made the league not look to be in the best. But Commissioner Siegfried probably looked around and said, is this going to make us money? Are we going to get national attention? How can this help my league? More people are talking about Antonio Brown in a positive light today than before. And there are probably some football fans here in the Capital Region who have been waiting for this moment. What would you do if you were Antonio Brown? Because we've done the who is Antonio LLA stuff when LeVac's been here. You've seen the constant bashing on social media. And for one, I haven't disagreed with much of that bash because of the way he's handled this as an ownership situation and the demands and everything. We've covered that a lot. But that's already now in the past. That's already two weeks ago. That's old news. So if less fans plan on coming to Albany Empire Games, the whole roster has been released. Coach Damon Ware has been fired. Coach Tom Manos has been fired, then rehired. This can be the biggest local sports story, which it's been in 2023. What would you do if you were Antonio Brown and you knew you had a following? You know you had multiple millions of people on Instagram and Twitter following what you were saying. Hey, our business is losing money right now. What's the quickest and easiest way for us to make money for people to talk about the league and potentially get to more fans and seats? Uh, me playing? Yeah. Isn't that the pitch to Siegfried, the commissioner? Hey, Kamish, I got an idea. I want to suit up. I want to play. I'm intrigued. I think some people who have not followed the Albany Empire since they came back in, what, 2018? Are more intrigued today than they ever have been about arena football in the NAL. That's no disrespect to the last two championship teams. Please don't swing that around and say, oh, guys, is taking shots at the 2021 or 2022 teams. That is not a shot at all. Because if you're an Albany Empire fan, you've been an Albany Empire fan. You've watched the great players come through, whether it's the days of Malachi Jones and Sam Castronova and the late Mo Ruffins and everybody else. If you've been following the team, you've been following the team, and you know the success it's had. But the difference here with Antonio Brown suiting up potentially, if it happens, maybe as soon as the 27th of May, that somebody who has never followed the team now has an interest in the YouTube broadcast. Now might buy a ticket. Now I might be like, hey, I got to see this happen. I'm a big fight sports fan. And two of the most polarizing people in the fight game have been over the last decade plus Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And hell, you could toss the Paul brothers in there now because they're making a ton of money in the fight game, whether it be the WWE or boxing. I cannot believe I, not yet. I'm not going to put Antonio Brown in that category yet, but the same points remain to be the same. There are going to be some people who want to tune in to watch Antonio Brown dominate and talk trash and be the entertainment style that it is. Whether you find that the right way, whatever that term means for entertainment or not, and there are going to be some people, you don't have to admit it publicly, 
We have our microphone on our iHeart app. There are going to be some people who want to see Antonio Brown get laid out. Just like some people want to see Floyd Mayweather get knocked out and Conor McGregor get knocked out because they talk too much trash. They wanted a fighter to take care of him and knock him out inside the ring. There are going to be fans here locally who want to see Antonio Brown get laid out going over the middle. There's an entertainment point of this. I am going to continue to dig and call and text and find out if the rules have been bended or if Antonio Brown is just saying things out of turn again. It is going to be an interesting show tomorrow for sure. And don't forget, before 3 o'clock hits, just because we're from 3 to 5, LeVac and guys, doesn't mean the opinions stop, the takes stop. You can follow us on Apple Spotify, on our Twitter page at WOFX980 as well. Facebook, all different ways to follow the show. Uh, it's time for our play of the day. If you're an investor in sports, we love giving you some picks for the day. That's brought to our friends at brought to you by our friends at Mohawk Chevrolet. Our pick for the night. We're going NL Central. We're going some baseball picks tonight. A St. Louis Cardinals Milwaukee Brewers game that gets underway at 7:45. This is about as even as it gets. That's right. Depending on what sports book you're using, it is a true coin flip. I'm going under. Colin Burns. Excuse me, Corbin Burns. See, I was going to make a point about how you might have forgot that Corbin Burns won the Cy Young in 2021. And before I can even make my point, I call him Colin. Under eight runs. Brewers, Cardinals. Corbin Burns on the mound. Matthew Libertor on the mound for the Cardinals. All right. Cavino and Rich is on the way next. It's a little vagin' guys here on Fox Sports 95, 9 and 980.